This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Four o'clock and the first ticket to Miami up for grabs this weekend. Can't wait for Martinsville on Sunday. Welcome to a special Thursday edition of Motor Mouse. Two guys for whom Martinsville is a home track, and then there's AJ Almendinger. <laughs> so, not his home track. <laughs> I love the racetrack, though. I know, I know, I know. I love your what's up. Yeah. Uh, Marty Snyder, AJ Almendinger. Happy to have our very special guest here, NASCAR race director. Formerly in the tower, Mr. David Hoots. How you doing, David? I'm doing great, and I'm like AJ. I'm looking forward to going to Martinsville and seeing the races. It's going to be a lot of fun. You've laughed a lot in the pre in the pre show show. So yeah. So I'm going to laugh some more. <laughs> I know we're going to have some fun. Hey, I, I, is it me or has this fall playoff race at Martinsville really changed things with so much on the line with an automatic ticket? Did you notice the intensity pick up starting in 2015 when that ticket became the ticket window open for Miami? I think you saw it then, and I, and I think another element that that by what happened, it, running later and later and turning the lights on, mm-hmm. ramped up the intensity even more. It, it's it's kind of an optic, but it really looked like they're they're racing a lot harder under the lights, and it reminded you of the old, the old Saturday night short track. They're in there beating and banging and trying to get everything they can. A lot of fun. So is it easier just to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that at Martinsville than somewhere else, AJ? Oh, there's certain you certain <laughs> there's certain <laughs> racetracks for sure <laughs> that you uh, that you line up on your list. Like I could definitely pay somebody back there and. This Martinsville fall race, which has so much on the line, that is a time that you've really kind of kept it saying, you know what, I'm going to save it for this time. And, David, you've, you've seen a few times it, it happened. <laughs> I've, I've seen it and, and it, and it lends itself there because you're in tight quarters. Oh, yeah. uh, you can't hide. You can't run away from somebody. And, and even if you're having a bad day, you, they'll catch you. Then you can uh, uh, let them know that you're still out there and you hadn't forgot what, what had happened a couple of weeks back or first year whatever a lot of hate has built up throughout the year so now's your time to repay it back right this is your exactly. shot to do it before the end of the year time for today's starting grid the round of eight of course starts sunday for the cup series so which driver is feeling the most pressure in this round aj's going to chime in on that chase elliott who knows hey ty Dillon joins us here on the show to discuss rcr's 50th anniversary it's a home race for those guys too a lot happening on the rcr campus this weekend and we'll talk Martinsville payback. Appreciate a few of those, including all the ones you're seeing right now. That should be a fun topic. We're going to get the behind the scenes on all that. Here's how the playoff grid shapes up heading into the round of eight. Kyle Busch, 
just 18 points above that cut line. But Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, all those guys on the bottom of the grid have holes to dig out of and have to work their way back up to make it to Miami and have a shot to win the championship. So, David, best Martinsville payback you ever had to officiate and that you ever saw. I, I think one of the things on a payback, you want to you want to sit there and try to figure out, was it intentional or not? And you could tell back when uh, when uh, a very low-key driver who's intense, <laughs> Matt Kenseth, that I have a great deal of respect, had gotten past the point of, of no return that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retaliate. And he goes in and, and hits uh, Logano. And he made, it was no question about what his intentions was. And, and you, so, sure, was you sure his brakes, <laughs> he said he got in too deep there. You sure his intentions were there? Uh, I, I don't think anybody <laughs> in race control had any doubt of what was going on. You never questioned uh, that ne one. Never huh? questioned that one. Okay. So it was, it was at that point a quick trip. Uh, put the 20 on the trailer and we'll see him at the trailer. So. Okay, well, that was a pretty easy one then. That might have been a hard one, I thought. No, no, it, it's some of them are borderline. Some people would finesse some things, but I don't think anybody at Martinsville okay. that day had any doubt of what had happened. How many times in 500 laps do you get mad at someone, AJ, over a Martinsville race? Well, 500 laps, there's a. Uh, 500 shots. You know, to... well, it's really a thousand times. There's two separate corners <laughs> once you get down to each right, end. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a race that I. I Felt like I was pretty good at Martinsville. I had good success there and really enjoyed it. But I always woke up on race day with excitement of mm -hmm. getting to race Martinsville. But I was nervous because you just knew at all times during the race, you were going to be around a race car. It was intense. It's not physically demanding, but mentally it just wears you out. You know you can do everything perfect for 499 laps. And then you get that last restart or that last corner and you can get it all taken away in one split second. So just knew you were in for a tough, long day at Martinsville. S somebody can happen in something in front of them, just touch the curve yeah. and bounce up to you and ruin your day. Yeah. I want to go back to how this race has changed since the automatic ticket was up for grabs. Were you in the 2015 race when Jeff Gordon won? I mean, I, I might have been. It was <laughs> slightly dark during that I'm race, kidding. and I'm not really sure there, why AJ. we didn't call the race with, like, 50 to go. We couldn't see, but and it's interesting. Well, you, you were leading at the time, right? Yeah. So, And you were, you know, yelling to him even though you couldn't talk to him. Yeah. I think it's time to throw the yeah, checkered like, flag. Hey, right here. Like, TV makes it look so much brighter. Some we couldn't see anything right at this and point. Sunglasses. I was like, hey, we need we need... We need to throw the caution and just throw the checker. We can't see. But the funny thing was, Jeff Gordon, his final year, trying to race to make it to Homestead, I remember laughing to myself thinking, it could be so dark you can't even see inside the race car. Hoots will not throw the checker <laughs> until the 24 you gets to the lead. You could see the brake rotors and it was that bright. <laughs> hey, you told us a story of why you can't throw the checkered flag. Well, we, we were up at uh, New Hampshire one year racing on a, on a truck race. And it was very dark, and it's a challenging schedule because you race a bunch of extra races, and it got started getting very dark. And you could look down into turn three, and the old uh, Unical orange ball was, was illuminated. So yeah, yeah, it yeah. was lit up. Right. So we were we were using that. Well, we were told the next day in a meeting by Mr. Helton that he was the only one that was authorized <laughs> to make decisions on whether it was light enough to race okay. or not. So we yeah. continued to race go. and right. continued to go carry yeah. out our So business. you shouldn't be mad at David because you got passed with 20-some laps to go for the win. Yeah. It wasn't David. It was, had, it was, it was yeah. Mike Helton. Yeah. And um, higher you're authority not, there. I'm scared of Mike Helton and his mustache. <laughs> and his mustache. Well, he is too, so I'm not. Who isn't scared of Mike Helton, right? So It worked out okay. Jeff Gordon won, so. 
I, I became a I became a fan at that point to see Jeff Gordon win and, and make it to uh, Homestead. It was pretty cool. All right, there you go. That's the intensity we expect at Martinsville this weekend. Let's get to your calls at eight four four NASCAR NBC. We'll start with Frank in New Jersey. How you doing, Frank? Uh, I'm doing good. What about you guys? We're doing great, right. man. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, I mean, when the guy asked me what my question was, I kind of choked up because I didn't expect to actually get picked. <laughs> on okay. So I was just mumbling. But uh, I'm really intrigued on how somebody like Brad Keselowski or like Clint Boyer, someone that has recently been eliminated, mm-hmm. are going to be racing against current playoff drivers. And like, since I'm looking at the points now, Blaney is eighth. So like, right. Yeah. So like, and like then, he. Sorry, I I I'm like uh, starstruck right now. Now you're you're good. You're good, Frank. But the, I get the so same like, way around David Hood, so it's, it's all right, man. <laughs> yeah. So it's gonna be like, how difficult is it gonna be for those guys to like keep their tempers in check and not ruin? their chance like their their points day that's well, a great point Frank. yeah and he and if you think about it brad kozowski not only won the spring race he was dominant and he yeah. led 400 plus laps and, and the way it comes down to is for those drivers because i've been in the same position you don't want to be the driver that wrecks somebody's chance at winning a championship right. but at the same token they have those drivers that are still in the championship hunt have a lot more to lose than brad keselowski clint boyer etc so they have to be a little bit more careful around them. I will say if it's a battle for fifth or sixth place at the end of the race, maybe they're a little easier on the guys at their race and just say, hey, what? They need those positions more than I do. But if it's a chance to go win the race, I don't care. They are going to fight tooth and nail because they want to win races, and they know that those guys have more to lose that are still in the playoffs. I, I agree with you. The, the other thing, that just because they've eliminated themselves from the championship – they're still racing for the final results yep. at the end of the year. Right. They've got just as much to earn. They can they can end up finishing fifth for the season, which is not the goal they started out with. And the other thing is they want to win. They definitely want to win, and, and in most cases they'll win at all costs. Is this where you start in the driver's meeting saying to everyone, reminding them there are, there are eight racing for a championship here. Is this about the time of the year where you start reminding the drivers every week? We, we would start getting a little later in the year because – it, it's still a fifth of the field is in the playoffs. The other four fifths are racing for wins and trying to improve what they're doing with their team and their own goal. So it's not quite at that point yet, but they're also, they're all professionals. They understand the situation they're all in. And for the most part, they did a great job on how they managed it. But that has been a topic this year, how the playoff drivers have raced the non-playoff drivers and been maybe a little bit more of a topic this year than in the past. Let's go to Illinois where we hear from Jack. Jack, what's on your mind today? Well, I'm a huge Elliott fan, and um, I think he's going to go all the way to round of, you know, the championship, and I even think that this is his year. I mean, he's – he puts it all out there on the racetrack, just like when he wrecked, you know, at the Roval, and then came back and won. And I feel that with that attitude that he's got this year, he's going to take it. What do you guys think? I think certainly, AJ, I'd love to hear your thoughts. This is a great weekend for them at Martinsville. I mean, he has been one of the better cars over the last couple of years at Martinsville. Yeah, and I really feel like when you go through what that nine team and, and Chase Elliott himself have went through where there's so many ups and downs so far through this playoff run. We're looking at the Roval there where he had a dominant car. He himself threw that race away. Mm-hmm. and then went out and saved it still Correct. by going to win the race. So 
We saw last week at Kansas, he was out the whole race. He was not going to make it. Then with about four laps to go, he was going to be in, and then the caution fell, and then he was back out and then got back in on the last lap. So I feel like when stuff like that happens as a race team, you start to believe it's meant to be. These are happening for a reason. But Martinsville, to me, might be his best opportunity to win the race Mm -hmm. and automatically put himself into Homestead. Otherwise, Texas A could be fast. Phoenix, he's been okay, but – there's drivers I'm going to pick over, and Martinsville could be his weekend. You you were talking about today that he has a lot of fans up at Martinsville. Uh-huh. And, and when you were uh-huh. racing last year, you want to tell them what was going on, that, that you heard the fans and uh, how they were cheering uh, well, with, with him and Hamlin. Well, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> over, it, the, over the yeah. race car. Yeah, noise. you just – Chase Elliott, I mean, that it's almost the, the Dale Jr. now, right? Like, oh, Chase yes. Elliott takes the lead. You hear it erupt, and then when something happens, you hear it in the car. Like you can hear it. Like go back to the story, the 2015, the the Logano right. Kenseth, when they wrecked. Like I, the place exploded. I was like, okay, what just happened? So you know, <laughs> it's when Dale Jr. used to take the lead. You could hear it, and uh, it, it's getting close like that with Chase Elliott now. Chase Elliott's the new Dale Jr. Uh, it's interesting though. Good point you bring up, David. Sometimes you see teams get momentum like that and then carry it for quite a while in the playoffs, you know. And, and this is a good time to be hitting that stride. He, he, you know, it had to be a confidence booster just to make the playoffs where he can. And then just proceeding at the Roval yeah. to come back. He knows that he can charge forward and get up there. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to watch Chase Elliott for the rest of the playoffs. Well, coming up, it's one of the most famous short tracks in racing and one that our guest, David Hoots, knows very well. We're heading to the Madhouse when we come back on Motormouth. So who are some of the greats that you remember racing here? I remember Richard Petty starting his streak here. I remember Wendell Scott coming in, Rex White in that beautiful gold and white car, the red number four on it, Ned Jarrett being here. There's a list that when you look at the Hall of Fame that have come through Bowman Gray Stadium, it's like the who's who of NASCAR Hall of Fame racing that's been here. So this place is known as the Madhouse. If you've ever been here on a full moon and just seen the <laughs> elements that can come out, you would understand why. I remember uh, Bobby Allison, Curtis Turner, and something occurred during the race. Curtis spun Bobby out. Well, Bobby was never one to back down from anybody. And I think that's why he's one of the great champions. Still today. Still today. Well, the second time we spun him out, Bobby felt like that he needed to remind him that he was out there and that before the race was over, they're crossing the football field trying to ram each other. This is 1966. Now, it would be priceless to watch these two big Grand National cars going across the football field trying to wreck each other while the race was going on. I, I think what's great about that is that we saw that happen here last year. <laughs> we saw the same thing happen. And, and and I think, you know, that's what this racetrack offers, right? Mm-hmm. Is that it's so it's so small and the groove, it's one groove. There's only one place you wanna be, and everybody fights for that groove and, and people get very, very frustrated with each other, especially racing each other here every week, you mm-hmm. know. 
it had, the frustration level has to be exceptionally high. I, I think that's what adds to the excitement. The, the same token that you'll have these fans that are absolutely passionate to watch these cars go around. And let's face it, you and I both know it. Racing fans are some of the greatest fans of all time. That is awesome. Going across the football field to get after you. That's, that's cool. That's it and it is. still happens today. Yeah. <laughs> it still happens today. <laughs> just a different version of a car, but it's it's a repeated story. So they just came across the football field with each other? They came happened? across the football field and would try to, try to hit each other. That's awesome. Met at the 50-yard line. So uh, what is it about Bowman Gray? We heard you and Jeff talk about it there for a moment. That creates, A, the great racing but just the level of anger that's created at that place. I mean, it seems like there's a fight every week. Uh, it's, it's not a fight every week, but there's a lot of intensity. It's it's a very short season, so the, the intensity is ramped up. Um, there's long-time rivalries there. It doesn't necessarily turn the competitors a whole lot, so mm -hmm. they have a history. Um, the two of the top drivers right now, their win totals are somewhere in the 80s and 90s. Wow. They've raced that long. Uh, I think uh, Burt Myers just recently won his 11th, 10th or 11th championship. Crazy and Tim thing. Brown, his, his competitor's 10 championships. Right. So <laughs> it, it, there's no turnover. It's the same, it's same, the same cast of characters out there racing every, every Long second. time to build up the hate, right? Yeah. So uh, the feature that we see all the uh, Drivers and Dreams, a documentary we did a few weeks ago, you can still catch it on our NBC Sports YouTube channel, is a thought that if you can make it there, you, you've, you've made it at the toughest short track in the U.S.? I, w I would say that it's one of the toughest. There's 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 some in each region. Um, it is not a technical racetrack. It's just a tight, small racetrack. And it's the short race adds to the, the excitement level. AJ, if you want, we'll get you a street stock, and you can get in the race next year. Think that'd be fun? I might have to, but, I, you know, some all the videos <laughs> and you see on social media – I might to get to uh, some bodyguards around me, too. Because, I would bring security. Just yeah, I'm I mean, saying, you know. You know it, it was funny because when I came from IndyCar racing, I had never really been to a, a true short track. I mean, that, it's not what I grew up doing. And my first year moving here, I went to Bowman Gray, and I was like, what is this place? I was like, this this is insanity. It's Chaos. It's a mad Yeah, exactly. And I was like, but this is awesome. Like, I love this place. So it's uh, I, I love seeing – the races there, the yeah. videos that go with it, because it's true passion and a little bit of craziness all mixed together. And it's just 50 miles from Martinsville. The racing very similar, right? The, the tightness of the, of the racetrack, and it's carried over that most of the drivers that race in Sunday have gone through a short track. Right. Now, and, and at some point, so they go to March, tight turns, long straightaways, a lot of intensity, and, and uh, tight racing going into the turns. Do you go just as a fan now, or do you go and, and you No, don't... I just go as a fan. Okay. Uh, um, sit in the stands. Sit in the stands. <laughs> that's sit awesome. With, sit with friends, and, and that's another beautiful part of it is that there's families there. It's the third and fourth generation are sitting there every Saturday night. That's, that's so cool. their passion of it, which, which, again, racing fans are the most passionate fans in the world. Love to talk a little Bowman Gray. Let's go back to the phone lines now. We'll go to Jim in New York. Jim, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Jim, what you got? I'm just wondering why it took so it, why they were so quick to throw the flag the yellow flag on Ryan Newman when he cracked the wall and didn't leave no debris. Okay, you're talking Kansas, and, and, the end of the race, yes, is that correct? Well, right. the, the beginning of the race in the first in the first uh, stage when 
Byron was leading the race. Okay. So walk us through the caution flag procedure. He's saying early in the race, there were some, there were some guys who made contact with the wall. There wasn't a caution thrown, but then late in the race, there was a very quick caution thrown there at the end when that uh, created the second overtime. The, the mechanics of a caution uh, are dependent on the information that's sent into race control. And what I mean by that is the spotter has to call in the turns of, of there's a debris or there's a hit or whatever, and then you have to ass assess it. Well, if the radio is tied up, it's a one-way communications. Until it gets free, then you can call in that information, and then you react from it. The person that's making the call, the race director, may not be visually looking at it, so he's waiting for the information, and he takes the information. He has to trust his spotters, and he makes his decision based off that. So he may have not even actually seen the contact with the wall. He's getting the information and reacting to it. So there's there's a time variation there that's going to be there. It doesn't matter how you, unless you're looking straight at the accident. But remember, your field of view is about half that racetrack, and people will see stuff on TV. That camera is trained on that car. Well, the race director may be looking at the other end of the racetrack, but there's a team of people in race control doing the same thing. Good point. So you're fine with as quick as that caution came out in the first overtime at Kansas with how quickly it came out to create the second overtime. I don't have any problem because, again, the, the the person, which is the race director, could be looking straight at it, and when he sees the call or turn to the wall, he's depressing the button, and it starts the mechanics mechanical process of what's triggering everything, the lights, the caution flag, and the computer. So the race director then has that button right, right at his access. He can touch it right away. He can touch it right away, and then there's a backup system to that. So, yes, it's, it's, it's supposed to be instantaneous, as quick as it can be, but there's also some checks and balances into it that uh, you have to do a certain sequence, and, and it, it triggers right off. It's it's very quick. AJ still wants a button for the checkered flag at Martinsville when it's dark. So, to, yeah, yeah, it's only Can I get a button, somebody? I'll get you yeah. a button, AJ. Yeah. I'll get you a button. We'll I mean, I'll push even his just, own button, right? I'll, I'll yeah. take a, a mini clock now, like something. Uh, yeah. You would we'll take any kind here. of clock, yeah. wouldn't we'll, you? We'll I'll take anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, let's go to Martin in Kentucky. Martin, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? Good. What's going on today? Hey, after the race the other day, uh, Denny Hamlin told uh, Rutledge Wood that he was happy to see uh, that Denny Hamlin made it through. Uh, I don't understand that. I've never heard uh, Dale Earnhardt or some older driver uh, in the past say anything like that. Uh, and also, uh, if you think, uh, do you think if Denny is behind Chase uh, on the last turn, uh, do you think he'll uh, do the same thing he did before? And spin him, uh, it don't seem like he would to me the way he's uh, acting towards Chase now since Chase is the most popular driver. And I'd like to say uh, to AJ, uh, man, you're a heck of a road course driver, brother. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. He obviously means when Denny said he was, uh, he was glad Chase made it through. So a little too much love there, you feel like, or maybe politics going on. Denny did let, in the middle of the race, let Jimmy Johnson go, and he talked about how I'm making sure I'm making a lot of friends. And, and Den Denny has talked about that a couple of times this year at Loudon. He could have mm -hmm. went up there and, and uh, who was he battling? Harvick. Harvick went up there and, and moved him out of the way, and he said, you know what, that wasn't the right time. I made a deposit. I, I made a deposit. Yep. Now, let's be honest, in the uh, last round before <laughs> Homestead, <laughs> deposits don't really mean anything he anymore. withdrawals yeah, there exactly. or Homestead, and you would be disappointed if he didn't. Yeah, but the thing is, is when it comes to him saying, I'm happy, Chase made it in, 
there might be several backstories to it. Maybe he feared Brad Keselowski more in the playoffs. We don't know that. But there's reasons drivers want certain guys in and they don't want the next guys in. Maybe they think they're going to be more competitive in that round of the playoffs and they're happy to make sure that that driver's out or in. Um, Or maybe he's just become a Chase Elliott fan since he wrecked him in 2017. Could have become a big fan. You never know. And to, to the point we were talking about earlier, Brad Keselowski, dominated the last Martinsville yeah. race. So that might have been an automatic ticket for him to go yeah. to Miami if he would have made it to this round. And David. Danny's been very good at Martinsville over the years. Yeah. We're, we're, we may not seem smart as drivers sometimes, but we're very calculated. <laughs> Maybe not on the racetrack sometimes, but everything that happens is for a you reason. So you're, from yeah. Write that down. Yeah, yeah. so you're yeah. always calculating it out. <laughs> yeah. Actually smart. Yeah, write that down, David. We're not smart. <laughs> hey, uh, last false finish of this race at Martinsville. Pretty good. Who's feeling the pressure maybe to try a move like this on Sunday? We'll talk about who has the most pressure on them in the round of eight next. What's the one that got away, the one you would do over again if you could? I would say Martinsville last year. You know, and that was all me. Yep. You know, I should have just knocked 22 out of the way with five to go and drove away. I mean, I was so much faster than him at that point. Yep. I gave him. I, I left the window open of opportunity for mm-hmm. him on that last corner because mm-hmm. I I was wasn't far enough ahead of me. Um, you know, with three four to go, I should have just gave him a little nudge. Yep, drove on. on. That would we would have won the championship. Yep, you know that would have been two in a row. Yep, uh, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Wow, Martin Truex Jr. on the Latart on Location podcast. That was from earlier this summer. That's where you can check it out and download that conversation. And a terrific point. I mean, when you think about it. He's right. If if he would have, you know, not given Logano that opportunity, he would have won the championship last year. Adrian. Yeah, without that win, Joey Logano doesn't make it to Homestead because the way the next two races played out, they had bad races. Yeah. And, you know, in the time being, you're thinking, I, I know what Martin was thinking. Hey, I don't want to rough him up and let him get back to me with five to go because then it just gives him free will to, to send me. In hindsight... Like he said, he let him get too close to him in the last corner, and that's what happened. We we all would like to redo some things in our life. And <laughs> yeah. Martin may maybe is going down yeah. that path, but to AJ's point, if he if he doesn't nudge him enough, yeah, he has the ability right. to come back and double down on the payback. Is is that the example, AJ, that it's always worth it at Martinsville to move some out of, someone out of the way, and that's why we've seen it in this advanced to Miami format. Is it worth it to go for, for a shot to win the championship to do that to someone? Yeah. You're going to get booed, but who cares? Yeah, for sure. But, you know, Martin, I get during the race because it, that, that's that's my thinking. Hey, I'm going to race him clean because if you do give him the shove with five to go and you don't get him up in the gray, Joey's going to turn right back down. And, and as drivers, we think it's free will. Okay, he just muscled me out of the way. I can go send him the next corner because now it's tit for tat. It's even. But he just... Didn't do that, and unfortunately, let Joey go. So I think every driver, especially the, these eight drivers, will say it's game on. We do whatever it takes to get to Homestead. The intensity ratchets to where the racetrack is at in the order of the playoffs, too. Yeah, right, exactly. So right, you, right. you're not looking at apples to oranges this week. This is the first round. It's not the last round. So. Yeah, right, first race of the round of eight. So that leads us to wonder which driver is under the most pressure in the round of eight. What do you think, David? I think Kyle Busch is, even though he's leading. Interesting. I, I, I just don't – I haven't seen the performance there. I haven't seen uh, the tenacity that he he usually shows to take an ill handling car and get it up there. Uh, I could be completely wrong, but 
the last couple of weekends, it just doesn't look like he's brought his top A game like he normally does. Hmm. AJ, what do you think about the driver under the most pressure in the round of eight here? I really think it's Joey Logano and, and Team Penske because if you look at their, their round two, I mean, it was horrible. Like, they just yeah. had bad luck, whether it was self-induced or if it was just bad luck. Went to Kansas. They had okay speed, but it wasn't anything that stood out. And then by the end of the race, we saw what happened. I mean, he barely made it in, and that was really because of his teammate had such a horrible run. So looking at the speed that they've had, I feel like they're probably looking at Martinsville as the best chance to win. You look at it, he's plus two, but who's right behind him? Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick's just been solid. Yeah, they haven't won lately, but they've been solid. You got Chase Elliott that's really strong at, at Martinsville. So to me, this is a race that they would love to go win like last year and lock themselves in. And if not, make sure they run inside the top three at every stage and at the end of the race to build up those points. And they haven't had back-to-back -to -back top fives, meaning the 22 teams, since the middle of yeah. April, which is crazy to think about it. You know, I think you can make a case certainly for Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney, who are on the bottom, maybe in must-win scenarios. But I would say Denny Hamlin. I mean, everyone is saying right now, going into one of his best racetracks, he's the one to beat for the championship. That's got to add some pressure to the 11 team, don't you think, AJ? I would think so, but, you know, they're so confident right now. I feel like... Those, that confidence just takes over like, yeah, there's no pressure on us because we know what we're capable of doing and we're going to go do it at one of our best racetracks. So maybe from us, we want to put pressure on them. I think they just got so much confidence. It doesn't matter. All right, let's go to the phones and get your thoughts on who you think is the driver under the most pressure here in the round of eight starting at Martinsville this weekend. And we're going to Gino in Connecticut. Is that right, guys? We're going to Gino, I believe. Yeah, guys. How, How you doing, Gino? Gino? Hey, yeah, what's going on? Listen, I own a piece of that 11 car. So if he wins this <laughs> okay. week, what else does he have to do to get by Kyle Busch? In terms of, like, being the leader in the championship favorite, or what do you mean? Yeah, and, and, and being the leader in the championship. What does he have? Does he have to win again? Well, he's already – if he would win this weekend, he would automatically be in at Miami. Mm -hmm. He's not going to pass Kyle Busch in terms of, uh, of points, I don't think. It can't get there, but – he would automatically be advanced to Miami. I want to know how Gino owns a piece of the 11 car. I'm, I kind of yeah. missed that detail. Yeah. I'm an employee of FedEx. So that's oh, there you, oh there, oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. All right, Gino. Well, I'm <laughs> sure you're rooting your man on. All right, there you go. Gino's gone. So uh, he can't move past Kyle Busch. I don't know if he's going to catch Kyle points-wise, but, you know. Well, I, it's – we ask, or, or Gino's asking – how do they pass Kyle Busch when it comes to championship favorites? They may not look at it that way. They may, in their heads, feel like they're championship favorites. That's what's great about Joe Gibbs Racing, but challenging is each driver's going to push. They got three drivers that ultimately can win this championship. They all might be at Homestead, so uh, it, it's more what they feel inside. And, and then when you get to Homestead, nothing counts no. but you're finished there. Yeah, Points are out the door. It's all four against each four. Which each is one. the best way to best way to have it, right? Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever officiate, by the way, David, like team orders? Do you guys listen for that? There was a group that would be listening. I had enough to do. Uh, <laughs> you had other during, stuff to during do? The, during the course of the, of the race that I didn't I didn't engage in that a whole lot. Uh, I've, I've had some people question uh, my heritage and stuff. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think we picked up some comments from AJ here he confessed to a few minutes ago about what ability to see uh, lights okay. and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. but I didn't that I happens. never 
I never went down that. That had nothing path. to do with your heritage. I, that was just your eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Florida where we hear from Tom. How you doing today, Tom? I'm doing great, guys. I thank you for taking my call. I'm a long-time yes, sir. NASCAR fan and a first-time caller to you guys. Uh, what I, you know, I tell you what, I've been such a fan such a long time. I'll never forget seeing uh, the talking to Fireball Roberts uh, in Daytona. Uh, a hundred years ago, I guess it was. But uh, I walked up to him as a kid, eight or ten years old, had my autograph book and uh, handed yeah. it to him and he asked him to give me an autograph, and he did. And he turned to him. It was a guy standing there next to him. He turned to him and handed him my book hmm. and my autograph book, and I was looking on in horror. I had no idea who the guy was. He said, trust me, kid, you want his autograph. And it was Parnelli Jones. He had just won the uh, Indianapolis 500 that year. But, Pretty cool. Uh, oh, yeah. That's anyway, pretty cool. Uh, the question I had is, I don't think Ryan Blaney gets the the respect that he deserves from hmm. the announcers and from everybody. I just, you know, I, I'm not really that great a fan of his, but I am a fan, and and I, and I feel like that he just, you know, he, they don't mention him much. You know, I mean, he's there. He's probably one of the best drivers out there. I mean, he can get it done if he's got the car. You know, and uh, and I was just wondering why he didn't really get seem to get the respect that I think he deserves. Well, Tom, we appreciate the phone call, and I would I would argue Brian likes it that way. I think I think they like flying below the radar for the 12th. I think team. that's part of of the Blaney family. Because mm-hmm. you look back, his grandfather was a great racer. His dad was a great racer. They were they were down to earth racers, and they were really good at it. But it's like first win, I'm gonna go out there and ride around with a checkered flag. I'm not gonna do burnouts. Yeah, I'm I'm low key, and and it's hard to present a persona if you're not if you're in that kind of mindset to do it so but i think he gets the respect from from the competitors in the garage yeah and he's just he's not outspoken Mm -hmm. i mean if if you're if you're judging off of joey and brad his teammates they're definitely more outspoken plus they have won championships they've been in the sport a lot longer uh you know but what ryan is doing quietly is what this playoffs are all about it's not flashy but he's doing enough Won at Talladega to get himself to the next round. He's probably going to have to win again. But it's, to your point, there's certain people that love it that way. Mm-hmm. And you're, I, you're I spot on. Too. Yeah, yeah. The, the Blaney family, they're, they're all like that. Mm-hmm. And, but they're, they can all drive race cars, any type of them. With, with Keselowski out, are they Team Penske's best hope to win the championship right now, the 12 team? Have they vaulted above the 22 team, AJ? No, I don't think so. I think okay. Joey's Joey's probably, I mean, just if you look at the points and, and haven't been there, done that, but uh, you change that by going win a race this weekend. Go. And he's already done that once in the playoffs, yeah. so he can make it happen again. Well, coming up, so many amazing moments in the 50-year history of RCR. Next, we'll chat with Ty Dillon, who's been a big part of that, and talk about a big celebration weekend for Richard Childress Racing. It all started with $20 and one man's dream. Now, 50 years later, Richard Childress Racing sits among NASCAR's all-time great organizations. RCR has claimed six championship and over 100 wins in NASCAR's premier division. And both of Richard's grandsons have certainly played a role in RCR's history as well. One of them joins us now, Ty Dillon, via FaceTime. What's happening, Ty? Oh, not much. Um, just here getting ready, uh, hanging out. Yeah, we're really pumped uh, for the upcoming fan day at RCR. 
Um, actually, a big part of it for for me is my wife and I. I'm going to be signing autographs down at Jermaine Racing at 12:30, but my mm-hmm. wife is going to have her candles on display. So we're kind of preparing for that, and uh, she's really creative. So we're going to be selling some of those as well. Well, tell us about that. So it's a big weekend at RCR, right? It all starts tomorrow with Family Day. Tell us about what's going on this weekend, celebrating the 50th anniversary. Yeah, so Friday um, we're going to have our, our Fan Day slash Family Day for all the families at RCR Jermaine Racing. And, um, you know, for me, my our race shop at Jermaine Racing is down the hill, and anybody who comes by can come by and tour our shop, CR13 Geico Camaro, um, and uh, see all the cars. That, that have been in action this year. Also, my wife and I have her uh, her candle business set up, like I said. So it's a fun day. It's a great day to kind of give back to. We have so many loyal fans to RCR and Jermaine Racing and myself. So uh, we always like to you know spend some time on that day and get to know everybody. Well, Ty, speaking of the history, I mean, you, you've been around for a lot of it. Is there a memory that really stands out, whether it's you having to do with it or just something that you've seen as you've grown up? Yeah, you know, I think um, spending my whole life at, at that complex, um, I've had so many memories, whether it was riding four-wheelers and dirt bikes around the con- the you know the complex as a wild child and uh, probably annoying <laughs> all the hardworking people um, and not knowing any better uh, to now where it's a, a place that means so much to me and the, the people that have uh, helped my career go so long. So, uh, it's a major part of my life, and it's cool when we get to bring some of the fans that have followed the journey of, of my career and, and my family's career who have never seen such a, I guess, intimate part of our operation, um, you know, behind the scenes of what we do. Ty, did your grandfather ever take you around and show you how RCR was built from the ground up? Me being a longtime Winston resident, I, I could see the movement from when they started at one place and moved to the other and all the sweat equity that him and, and your grandmother and family put into building RCR into the complex that it is. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I, I have a lot of memories when it was just the main shop, which is now the, the museum where, you know, it was just the three team that was racing out of that building. And as a little kid, just playing around in that building. And I remember the day that the big shop got opened up. Um, that was a huge moment for our family. Almost every shop that is there now on the complex, I remember getting opened up, and it's grown as, as I have grown in my life. And um, I think what's kind of funny is a lot of the ground that got broken was um, kind of my dad's doing. I think my grandfather kind of paying the uh, you know son-in-law back made him go out there and work all the hot days and uh, break the ground on his new complex. Did, did we get video of Mike doing something? <laughs> Physical labor, yeah. That would, that would be something yeah. to see, wouldn't it? That's rare. That's very yeah. rare footage. So, uh, yeah. Oh, we know. Believe me, we know. Hey, uh, you mentioned the campus, and David brought up a great point. You said, Jermaine, right on the RCR campus. How much has that really helped you guys out in the 13 team to be that close to kind of the epicenter of RCR? Yeah, it's definitely helped us in, in, in a lot of ways. I think just being closer, we're not taking an extra day or an extra day and a half to kind of transfer information. We can literally go uh, a two-minute walk up the hill and get information right away. Um, I think the way things used to work, it was it was a drive for about three of the guys, and we only have 50 employees, and, and that takes a big chunk of your, your work power out when you have to drive an hour and a half, um, spend a whole day there, kind of load up on information and come back to the shop, you, you end up being about a week and a half behind. Um, certainly this year we've been able to move a lot quicker on making changes, being a little bit closer to them. Yet, yeah, we do have some growing still to go. 
Um, but I think it's been evident that we're a lot more in line with um, what they're doing with their cars. We, we've, we're very close to, you know, being in front of them both in points, and that's kind of our goal is we want to be pushing them ahead. And this year we've done that. So it's, it's been a, a helpful move for our race team. We've definitely grown a lot. Um, but a lot of the work still goes on in, in that Jermaine building with, with the 50 employees that we have with just our company. Well, there's been so many historical paint schemes that you guys have had over 50 years. Is there one that really stands out to you? Um, you know, I, there's been so many cool ones, uh, and a lot of them were ran at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, so I, I was always at those races. Probably the, the gold and black Fast Pro scheme that, that Dale Earnhardt won or not one, but ran it in Charlotte, um, was probably one of my favorites of all time. Uh, there's been so many unique ones. Uh, it was really cool to get to run that, that oddly green 13 at Talladega this year. Um, that was probably one of my favorites as well, but, uh, there's been so much change and so much difference that's come through that building, um, and, and history as well. So, um, there's countless amounts of history that, that goes on in 50 years. And this year being the 50th for RCR means a lot. And you can see all those cool paint schemes oh, yeah. in the museum. Yep. Chocolate yeah. Myers guiding everybody around. Ty, good seeing you, man. We'll see you soon here at Motor Mouse, okay? All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Ty Dillon checking in on the 50th anniversary of RCR. Back to your calls in a moment on Sunday's race at Martinsville when we return here on Motor Mouse. Welcome back to Motor Mouse, everyone. Want to jam in as many calls as we can in this segment. And the lines have been packed, so congrats to you guys for that. We'll start with Mark in California. Mark, how are you doing today? Uh, hi. It's an honor good. to meet you, guys. Yeah, good to hear from you. What's your question? Yeah, for David Hoots, what was the toughest decision you have to make in a NASCAR race? Hmm. I'm sure that list is long, isn't it, David? I, I think the hardest one right off the top is when you're racing in a racetrack that has lights mm -hmm. and you can't tell when the rain's coming. Ooh. That is because you're you're totally dependent on observers. You can't necessarily see it over the horizon coming over the top of the racetrack. Okay. And it's very difficult. And especially in some tracks, uh, the bigger ones, that it's raining at one end and raining at not raining at the other. So that's the okay. hardest one. They don't. They don't listen to us when we tell them it's raining. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, kind of depends yeah. on where you're running. If you're front, front it's you know better so get like, mud grip. The leader's coming. I'm like, hey, it's raining. They're like, um, it's blue sky out there, AJ. Like, you know. Yeah. How about a call between two drivers? Was there a tough one on that? Uh I'm sure through the history, there's there's been okay. there's been many right. of them. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina. Gene, how you doing today? Doing fine, thank you. I yeah, what's your question? Together. Yes. I want to know why does it take so darn long to throw this yellow flag on then to have the green, especially when it's the, the truck series where their uh, their stage is only like 15, 20 laps long. You know, you kill half of it. She's saying sometimes it takes a while for the field to get lined up. There, there's, a, there's a process that you go through. Um, and the process has to be followed to make sure to ensure that the order is correct before you open pit road. And then there's some uh, agreed obligations to help the media to bring, present a better broadcast. And it takes a couple of laps. Um, everybody's doing everything they can to expedite it, but right. still it takes a few laps and, and to do that. And then if there's a question of the order, you have to get it right before you can resume the race. 
Let's chat with Wayne from Georgia. How you doing today, Wayne? What's your question for David? My question is, early days that the early modified back in the late 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. whatever happened to an engine builder, William Mason, right above Martinsville, and a hmm. guy that set the car up so much, John Ziegler? I don't remember what happened to John. Uh, William Mason passed away. His grandson raced and carried on the legend of that 45 car. Um, but uh, uh, John, I'm not sure that I that I recall where where he ended up at. You were talking about uh, a modified race you remembered at Martinsville from back in the day. Richie well, Evans and Jeff O'Donnell. Richie Evans. Someone Jeff crossed the finish line in the fence. One of them came across the finish line <laughs> in the fence. Back in the day, I was working a position at the start finish line against the racetrack. I could see the accident coming up the front straightaway, getting ready to go under the flag stand. I decided it was a real good time for me to run over and order a hot dog at the concession stand <laughs> and not stay out there. That's a real good idea, David, a very good idea. Well, coming up, some final thoughts from our guest, David Hoots, when we come back on Motor Mouth. Welcome back to NASCAR America Motor Mouse. Man, this show has flown by. David, it's been a blast. Had a lot of fun here. We have saved time for one more call that we really wanted to save time for. Gail from North Carolina is on the line. Gail, how you doing? Good. How are you guys? I just wanted to wish AJ congratulations on his new marriage. And I wish he and his wife much happiness forever. Uh, Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. We are doing the honeymoon starting tomorrow. Going to the Nebraska football game. Yeah, so you got to tell everyone what your honeymoon was because you got married and you immediately went to... Well, I went to, to Road Atlanta, Road Atlanta, so she was quite yeah, happy where, that I, I just left everybody after. celebrates so, the honeymoon, Yeah, right? so now we're, uh, now we're going to uh, Nebraska football game. Thank you, Rick Allen, for part of the hookup. <laughs> so it's going to be a good time. Who goes to a Nebraska football game for their honeymoon, David? Well, that's, that's what I'm talking that's about. A, that's the wife that graduates from Nebraska University. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, I know. Maybe I needed to try that. Yeah, maybe maybe <laughs> like take her somewhere nice, you know, Bahamas, the Caribbean. She wanted to go to the game. Okay, good. I appreciate that. <laughs> Mr. Tickles is coming too. What? Well, wait. You buried the headline. Mr. Tickles going in like a carrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's we, awesome. We got a plan. That's for good. Him. I know that's his yeah. cat, by the way, who has his own Twitter account. That's true. In case you want to know. That's true. Uh, hey, thanks for being here today. A lot of fun. Great insight from you. I really appreciate that. So We're looking fun for another big Sunday weekend up at Marshall and watch the watch the. This little super speedway show what it can do. Yeah, so what what year will this be for you at Martinsville? Probably 45 or 46. Oh, man, that's awesome. Keep keep the streak alive, right? Hey, uh, by the way, a reminder, our coverage from Martinsville starts Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern on CNBC. We'll see you there. Can't wait for this weekend at the Paperclip. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.